When wishes were horses and beggars could ride, in a stone castle by the sea there lived a rich land. How am I supposed to choose? There are so many. And so he left the trail, and he followed the sound of the music. I am the goat from the hills and the mountains. And when I have finished eating these herbs and these vegetables, then I shall eat you, too. <laughs> Once upon a time, and welcome to the Story Story Podcast. I am your host, Simon Brooks, and I have some stories for you. This is a podcast to hear traditional stories told by some of the best storytellers in the world, and it will take you to long ago and far away, and bring you back safely. Mo and I were on a hike, nothing new there, <laughs> and we were caught out by a torrential late spring, early summer rain. I mean, it was pouring down. Now, in some parts of the woods, there are these old fallen down camps and hunting cabins, long ago abandoned. Some are dangerous to enter, others look like they're barely standing, but do offer a little shelter if needed. Now, we were close to one nearby, and so we ran to it and sat on the porch. Part of the porch had fallen in on itself, but most of it was standing. I had passed this place before, set back in the trees a number of times, but had never visited the place. As we sat in the shelter of the porch, the rain got harder and the wind became cold and blew the rain in on the porch. I looked through the broken window and saw what must have once been a living room. There was a small table and a single chair tipped over. That was all that was left. Part of the roof in that room had also collapsed. Two of the walls had windows, and on one wall there was a fireplace between the two windows. The front door was barely attached to the doorframe on the porch, so it was with great care that I opened it enough to enter. I picked up a piece of fallen roof timber and squeezed through the door, keeping Mo back behind me. I used the piece of wood to slam into the floor hard. I tested my weight on the wood, and the floor held. Only then did I step inside and allow Mo to follow. Broken glass from the windows lay on the boards, so I scraped that up against the wall or kicked it down into the hole in the floor so it was safe for Mo to walk about. I didn't want her to cut a pause. I then carefully tested the rest of the flooring for strength. It seemed strong enough, and the only hole was caused, it seemed, by the roof falling down in one corner. I peered down to the cellar beneath, and the drop was about ten feet. I did not want to go through the floorboards and tumble down there for sure. I picked up the chair and moved it to the other side of the small room, away from where the rain was coming in. I sat it next to a window and gazed out. Mo trotted over and put her paws up on the window ledge to look outside at the rain with me. There was a towering tree, not ten feet away from the ruins of the cottage, branches lifting high and wide into the sky. In the trunk at about chest level was a huge gaping hole. It looked like the tree had a mouth wide open, singing opera. Mo sniffed the rain, turned and looked at me as if to say, why didn't you look at the weather report before taking me out? I told her that she was the one who wanted to go for a hike, not me. It was then that both of us heard something. We turned our gaze back outside and saw a face peering out of the hole in the tree. It had bright brown eyes, olive skin and pointed ears. It was glancing about, but had not seen us. And when it did, its eyes widened and mouth dropped. 
It was almost so long ago when I first met Catherine Fairley, I wonder if I met her at all. Or if I should start by saying, a long time ago in a place far, far away, I met a fabulous storyteller called Catherine Fairley and she was good and everything was right. Now it's your turn to fall under her spell as she weaves the story of Ali Coggia from one of the best story collections ever, The Thousand and One Nights. It was in the time of the Caliph Harun al-Rashid of Baghdad that there was a merchant by the name of Ali Kogia. He was a well-enough-to-do merchant, had done well in his trade, and he lived a simple enough life in the house that his father had left to him. But three nights in a row he had received a dream, and a venerable old man had appeared to him, saying, Ali Kogia, you must make a pilgrimage to Mecca as you are one of the faithful, and it is required of all the faithful to make this pilgrimage, and you are able to do so, and have not yet done it. This appeared to him three nights in a row, and Alekogia took it quite seriously, and he decided to sell everything he had and go to Mecca. So he sold his goods, he sold his household belongings, he sold his little shop, and since it was his father's house originally, he merely rented that out to someone. He took all the money he had garnered from this, 1,000 gold coins, and he put it in an olive jar, and he covered the top with olives and sealed it up tight. This jar he gave to a friend, and he said, I, I will be traveling to Mecca, and I need to make my pilgrimage. Could you please keep this for me, if it will be no bother? And the friend looked at the jar. It was not large, and he said, Oh, of course, Aligodjia, think nothing of it, and come back after your trip, and God be with you. And so off Alekodjia went. He made it to Mecca, and he had brought a few goods with him to see if he could sell them, for he was a merchant at heart. And after he had made his pilgrimage, he went to the bazaar, and he set out his goods, and, and people were quite interested, and he indeed heard someone remarking, Do you know that this man could get a great deal more for these goods if he should take them to Cairo? Well, Alekodjia had no reason to go home right away, and, and he'd always wanted to see Cairo, and so he picked up his goods, and he traveled off to Cairo. He indeed made a great profit in Cairo. He made enough money so he could afford to travel up and down the Nile and see the sights, and he enjoyed himself quite a bit. After that, he decided there was again no rush to go home, and, and why not go to Damascus? So he went to Damascus and had a wonderful time. It was a beautiful country there by the, the riverside, green and verdant, right in the middle of a desert. He enjoyed himself, and indeed, ended up staying several years. Now all this time, his friend had the jar of olives and had thought nothing more about it until one evening his wife happened to bring up the subject of olives and how much she liked them and, and hadn't had them in the longest time. And her husband said, Well, you know, Alekogia has been gone such a long time. I'm, I'm sure he's, something has happened to him. I was told he went off to Egypt. Well, he must have died. He's been gone such a long time. It's been nearly seven years now. I will go see if the olives are any good, and we will have them. Oh, no, husband, do not do this. It does not belong to us, and besides, after seven years, the olives will be moldy, surely. But nothing would be for it but that the man should go downstairs and pry off the lid and taste the olives. Well, they were moldy, of course, and he thought, well, perhaps there are some good ones at the bottom, and he pawed down past the moldy olives, and gold coins came out in his hand. He tipped the entire jar over. 
The bottom of the jar was filled with gold coins, and his eyes glittered just like the gold coins did. He immediately replaced the olives back on top, put the lid back off, and he went back and told his wife, Oh, you're so right, my dear. Of course they were moldy after all this time. But that night he could not sleep. That night he kept thinking to himself, How can I get the gold coins for myself and, and not have any trouble even if Ali Kojia should return? Well, he decided to go to the bazaar and buy new olives. He bought enough to fill the jar. He emptied the jar of its gold coins and the moldy olives and refilled it with fresh olives and sealed it back up. And then he went and buried the gold coins. Wouldn't you know that Ajia decided to return about three months after this happened. Now when he came back, he realized his house was still rented out, and so he went to stay at Caravansary. And the next day, he went to his friend. Alekodjia, it is such a good thing to see you. We thought you were lost. It has been seven long years. And Alekodjia greeted his friend and brought him a remembrance from his travels and said, now, do you still have my olive jar? Here, here is the key to it. Go help yourself in the warehouse. I haven't touched it all these long years. It is so good to see you. Alakujia went down, and he found the olive jar. It was his, and he took it home and thanked his friend heartily. He went back, and he opened up his olive jar that evening, and there were fresh olives in it, and he dug his hand down, and there were fresh olives there, and he dug his hand down, and there was nothing in the entire jar but olives. Ah! Oh, I cannot believe this! My entire life savings! Gone! Well, he, he rushed back even in the middle of the night to talk to his friend and protest. Well, the friend was quite indignant. He, of course, he had expected this from Alekoji, and he had his story ready. You expect me to believe that you gave me a jar you told me was filled with olives, and you take it home? I have saved it all this time for nothing. You take it home, and then you tell me, Oh, no, it was not filled with olives, it was filled with gold coins. Well, you may as well ask for pearls or diamonds. I never saw any such thing. I have never touched your jar. It is as you left it. Well, Alekujia could not leave it at that, of course, and the next day he decided to take it to the magistrate and, and put it before the judge. The merchant was called in, and both of them testified against each other. Alekujia told his story, and... And the judge said, And you had no witnesses to this, no one to see what was happening? One thousand gold coins, and you had no witnesses? But, Magistrate, I, I thought this man was my friend. I thought he was an honest man. I had no reason to distrust him. And he turned to the other fellow, and he said, And what do you say to this? Well, Magistrate, how can you believe this man? He gave me olives. I gave him back olives. I charged him nothing to hold them. We were merely friends. I have not touched them. Why would I touch a jar of olives? It is foolishness. Well, since there was no witness, what could the magistrate say? He dismissed the case, and Alakujia went home bitterly disappointed. His last thought was to try to petition Harun al-Rashid, the caliph of Baghdad himself, for it was well known that the defender of the faithful would hear petitions by the commoners. And so the next day, Ali Kujir wrote up a petition stating his case and explaining everything. He put on his best clothing, and he stood out in the road where he knew that daily the caliph himself went from the palace to his prayers. He bowed deeply, and he held out the petition in his hand, and an officer picked it up and handed it to the caliph. 
And Ali Khadija waited for the prayers and then followed the caliph home. And then in a while, a messenger came out from the caliph saying, Harun al-Rashid himself will hear your case. He will give you one hour tomorrow. Now, tell us the name and address of your former friend that we may call him in also to hear the case. And so it was done. Now, that evening, Harun al-Rashid and his vizier, his great advisor, went out to walk in the evening in Baghdad, as they often did in disguise. As they went walking through a poor neighborhood, they heard children playing, groups of them, crowds of them buzzing around, laughing and shouting, and the caliph decided to sit down on the stone bench and watch what they did. Well, it seemed they had decided to play court. And one of the boys was chosen to be the caliph himself, and they set himself. They set him up on a box, and all the children gathered around, and he looked very solemn indeed, and he said, We will try the case of Ali Khodjia on the missing 1,000 gold coins. The caliph couldn't believe his ears, and he pushed the elbow of his vizier, and he said, This is the very case which I am to try tomorrow. Pay close attention. Well, of course... The rumors of this case were all over Baghdad, and the children knew everything there was to know about it. It was as if they had been in the courtroom themselves. The boy caliph called forward the boy Alikojia and had him tell his entire story, which he did quite well and explained it. And then he called forward the former friend, and that young boy came forward and he protested indignantly that he was not a thief and he had returned the olives just as they had been given to him. And the boy caliph held up his hand and he said, Have we seen these olives? Let's see these olives. And so two boys ran off and they brought back an invisible jar of olives and set it before the boy caliph. They had Ali Khadija peel off the top of the jar. And the caliph put his hand in and, and he tasted an invisible olive. Ah, ah, he said, it is good, it is a good olive. Now, Ali Khadija, you say you have had these Olives in here for seven years, and your friend has kept them for you. Yes, magistrate, yes. Well, these are perfectly good olives. I cannot imagine they should last so long. Do we have any olive merchants here? And two young boys greedily ran up with big grins on their faces. We are olive merchants, we are olive merchants. Taste these, said the boy. And the two boys tasted the invisible olives and declared they were good, they were fine, they were the best olives of this year. They couldn't possibly be more than two years old because olives don't even keep that long in the best of conditions. But these, they would swear to it, this was this year's olives. Ah, and as the former friend began to protest, the boy Caleb held up his hand and said, You cheat! You rogue! Impale him! And the boys gleefully gathered up this rogue and cheat, held him up on their shoulders and laughingly, clappingly carried him off through the streets together. Well, the caliph and the vizier stood together with their mouths open. And the caliph said, find out where that boy lives. I want him in the courtroom tomorrow. He will judge the case. I want you all to, to make sure that Ali Kojia brings his jar of olives and that we have several olive merchants in the court. And so it was done. The vizier found where the boy lived. The mother was quite terrified at seeing the sight of him at her poor door, but she was assured that he would be brought safe and sound the next day, an hour later, and much the richer for the experience. And so she set him about cleaning his best clothing. The next day in court, there appeared Ali Kojia and his former friend, 
and the jar of olives and two olive merchants. And there up on the platform next to the throne of the caliph himself was the small boy in his very finest. Looking questioningly up at the caliph, the caliph said, My boy, it is for you to judge this case as I know you can. And so the young boy gestured forward and had Alikojib state his case, and it was exactly as they had heard the night before. He had the merchant, the former friend, state his case, and it was exactly as the night before. And as the former friend decided it was time for him to receive a vindication and be sent home, the boy held up his hand and said, Let us see this jar of olives. That surprised the former friend. The olives were bought up. Alikojia opened them up. And the boy, the caliph, Alikojia, and two olive merchants were called forward, and they all tasted the olives. Why, these are good olives. These are fine olives, said the caliph. What do you think, olive merchants? And the olive merchant said, Well, they are the finest of this year's olives. I will swear to it myself. I have been in this business all my life, and my father before me. And the other one agreed. There is no doubt about it. Harun al-Rashid, we must tell you, this is this year's olives. At that, the face of the former friend turned bright red. And the boy turned up to the caliph questioningly, and the caliph said, You give the judgment. And so the boy turned to who he thought was guilty, the former friend, and said, You are a rogue. Impale him. And so the guards came forward, and they took the former friend, and they took him away. He was so terrified that he immediately confessed where he had buried the gold coins. And they were returned to Alikojia. And the boy, he was sent home with 100 pieces of gold and the admiration of Harun al-Rashid, the caliph of Baghdad. This week's episode's sponsor is Sleeping Beauty's Craft and Needle Workshop. I'm sorry to inform you that we have very recently discovered that Sleeping Beauty's Craft and Needle Workshop is a front for the Wicked Witch of the East. We have had to remove this commercial for legal reasons. Suffice it to say that they have been shut down and the elves have been freed. If you would like to add your products here, please reach out to Miss Rachel Ann Harding in all the usual places. Now back to the show in progress. I just wanted to give another shout-out to Toucan Awesome for your kind review, and we are so glad that you're enjoying the podcast on Apple Podcasts. And you too, Texas Okie Did I say that right? I hope I did. Become a patron for as little as $4 a month while getting some sweet perks and rewards and see if you get a unique fairy tale talent for being a patron. It would be pretty cool. The pixie, for that's what it was that was in the tree hole, leapt up onto the lip of the hole and pointed a rather sharp-looking finger at us. This is my house, it cried. What are you doing here? At first I was too dumbfounded to speak and wondered if this was the reason the people who had built this cottage had left. Uh, We got caught in the rain and we weren't prepared. Well, I wasn't. Will you melt in the rain? The pixie gave me a strange look. No. Well, come in then, it said, and take shelter from the storm, which I thought was odd as we were already in. Unless the creature wanted us to join it in the tree, but I wasn't going to fit in that hole. It wasn't that big. 
It appeared to be the cottage the pixie was referring to as it sprang over from the hole, in through the window, over Moe's head and onto the floor. Are you going to fix the place up? The pixie asked. Uh, no, we'll be gone when the wane stops. I I don't often get guests, the sprite said. Most people don't even take notice of the house. The pixie went out onto the porch and brought some wood in. It danced out into the rain again and brought in some other wood and put it in the fireplace. Mo dropped her paws from the window ledge and watched the creature. It clicked its fingers and the flames began. Warm yourselves, it said. Mo was standing to attention, straight back, ears pricked, eyes bright and tail upright and wagging. Well, come on then, the pixie said to Mo. Mo trotted over. The little creature was almost as tall as Mo, and it scratched her behind her ears. Lie down, warm yourself up. Mo curled up next to the fire. And you, it was talking to me. I stood before the flames and watched the smoke go up the chimney and my jeans start to steam. Are you hungry? asked the little man. Before I could answer, it dove out of the window and was back before you could say, Bob's your uncle and Fanny's your aunt. In its hand was what looked like a square piece of cake. Actually, four pieces of what looked like cake. Here you go. Of course, the creature offered the cake to Mo first. I don't like giving her people food, I said. It's not good for them. Mo, this is little people food made of spices and herbs, fruit and nuts and the like. Before I could say anything else, Mo had gobbled it down. Now, in the land of the fairy folk, the wee people, the fae, the kind folk, you shouldn't eat or drink anything they give you. Because before you know it, a hundred or two hundred years have passed, and everyone you know is dead. No one knows who you are, but you're just as young as you were when you first ate the fairy food. The wind had begun to die down, and the rain was lessening. I reached into my bag and pulled out some chocolate and mints I had. I figured it might take offence if I offered it dog food or dog treats. The pixie looked at the food I offered it and sniffed it. The mints are pretty strong. Which are the mints? I held out some English mints I had, extra strong mints. It snatched the whole packet out of my hand and popped two of the large mints into its mouth. They're not too strong. Well, they kind of sneak up on you. I watched as the eyes of the little man got larger and larger. It was trying to look as if it was enjoying the mints, but they are really quite strong, and its poor large eyes were beginning to water. Um, this might help. I handed the little beastie a piece of chocolate. Once it had swallowed the mints, it gobbled that down too and smiled. What is that? Mo snorted, stood up and turned around a few times to dry off her other side and blinked at the wee fellow. It seemed that the snort meant something as the pixie spoke to my dog. Well, I've never seen it before, not heard of it before. How was I supposed to know? It's chocolate. I said, well, I know that now, replied the pixie, nodding to Mo. It grabbed the whole bar from me and after ripping the wrapping off, ate the whole thing. Now this is good chocolate, proper chocolate, chocolate I didn't give to my kids until they were old enough to not bounce off the walls after eating a small single piece. The pixie exclaimed how good it was, this chocolate bar, and how much it liked it. it. It did a little skip and nodded. If you're ever passing by, then I would be happy to see you again and bring some more of this ch 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 chocolate. Yes, this chocolate stuff. The pixie spoke at a hundred miles an hour. Rat-a-tat-tat. It started to move around the room and dance about, all the while talking. 
It leapt and jumped about. This tiny creature, only the height of a three-year-old, had eaten a whole bar of chocolate, good chocolate, and two mints. It was having a sugar fit. It chattered on and on and on and began walking up the walls. It danced up onto the ceiling, laughing and chattering away. I caught some of the words and it seemed like it was complaining about the people who used to live there and how they never gave the pixie anything. I nodded and smiled as the pixie went on and on and on and on and on. Sun came in through the window, bright and cheerful. I saw the rain had stopped and light and warmth came through the hole in the roof and the windows. The pixie fell through the hole in the floor and bounced right back out again. Mo whined and looked between me and the wee fellow. I closed my bag up and lifted it onto my shoulders. Standing, I tapped my leg with my hand and Mo came over to me. We snuck out through the door and the wee gent was still talking. At some point, it noticed we had left and I heard it call out, So come back and bring some of that chocolatey yummy stuff with you and we can talk again. Our second storyteller is not new to storytelling by a long way, but she is new to Story Story Podcast. Let's have a big round of applause for Rosemary Kutra. Well, bigger than that. Come on, big round of applause. Now, some of you may recognise this story. There is a version of this tale from England. There's another story from America and from France. But this is the Russian version. Enjoy, Mr. Bun. This story comes from Russia. Once a long time ago, there lived a little old man and a little old woman. One day, the little old man turned to his little old woman and he said, My dear, I'd like something good to eat. Perhaps a nice bun? Ah, love of my life, said his wife. I'd love to fix you a bun. Unfortunately, we have no flour. Nonsense, said the old man. We have plenty of flour. Just take your feather brush, scrape the sides of the flour bin, and sweep the floor of the flour bin, and you'll have enough. (laughs) Well, the old woman, she took her feather brush. She scraped the sides of the flour bin. She swept the floor of the flour bin. And sure enough, she had enough flour to make one bun. She kneaded the dough with cream. She made it into a nice round ball. She poured butter over it. She put it into the oven to bake, and it turned out splendid. She took the bun out of the oven and laid it on the windowsill to cool, and the bun lay there and lay there. The bun was bored. And so the bun jumped up off the windowsill onto the bench. It rolled across the bench onto the floor. It rolled across the floor, out the door, down the sidewalk, down the road, and then to a field. In that field, the bun met a hare, a rabbit. And when the rabbit saw the bun, he said, Oh, Mr. Bun, you look so good, I'm going to eat you up. (laughs) And then the bun said, You don't want to eat me. (laughs) Why, Why don't I sing you a song instead? And the bun began to sing to the hare. Mr. Bun, I am Mr. Bun. I was scraped from the sides and swept from the floor of the flour bin. Kneaded with cream and in butter fried. I was put to cool on the windowsill, but I rolled and I rolled and I rolled and I rolled and I rolled away from Gramps and from Grandma too. And I shan't be afraid to roll away from you too. 
Now, uh, I'm going to need your help with this. Can you put your two fists up in the air and circle one fist around the other like you're the bun rolling down the hill like that? Okay. And help me sing that, that song. We'll do the song again. You can help me sing it. Let's do that song again. Here we go. Mr. Bun, I am Mr. Bun. I was scraping the sides and swept the floor the flour bin. Kneaded with cream and in butter fried. I was put to cool on the windowsill, but I rolled and I rolled and I rolled and I rolled and I rolled away from Gramps and from Grandma too. And I shan't be afraid to roll away from you too. And the bun jumped up and he rolled and he rolled and he rolled. Can you move your fists around each other and roll with me? And he rolled downhill. <laughs> and he rolled uphill. And he rolled back down. Oh, he was having a fine time, but he ran into an animal. He ran into a wolf. Wolf with big yellow teeth, big slobbery mouth. And the wolf looked at the bun and he said, Mr. Bun, you look so good, I'm going to eat you up. And then the bun said, You don't want to eat me. I'll sing you a song instead. And the bun began to sing, Mr. Bun, I am Mr. Bun. I was scraped from the sides and swept from the floor of the flour bin. Kneaded with cream and in butter fried, I was put to cool on the windowsill, but I rolled and I rolled and I rolled and I rolled and I rolled away from Gramps and from Grandma too. And I rolled away from my hair and I'll roll away from you too. And he jumped up and he rolled and he rolled and he rolled. He rolled downhill. And he rolled uphill. He rolled down here. He rolled through a mud puddle. He was so dirty, he decided to clean himself off. He went off ropes into a pond, cleaned himself off, and then went back onto the road. And he began to roll again. Well, he was having a good time, but you know, he had to run into another animal. This time, he ran into a bear. A big old bear. And when the bear saw the bun, he said, Mr. Bun, you look so good, I'm going to eat you up. (laughs) And the bun said, Ha! You're not, you old crooked paws. (laughs) You couldn't even if you tried. I shall sing you a song. And he began to sing, Mr. Bun, I am Mr. Bun. I was scraped from the sides and swept from the floor of the flour bin. Kneaded with cream. And in butter fried, I was put to cool on the windowsill, but I rolled and I rolled and I rolled and I rolled and I rolled away from Gramps and from Grandma too. And I rolled away from a hare and I rolled away from a wolf and I'll roll away from you and Bruin. And he jumped up and he rolled and he rolled and he rolled. Here we go. He rolled uphill and downhill. But you know, he had to run into another animal. This time it was a fox, a sly old fox. And when the fox saw the bun, he said, Oh, Mr. Bun, oh, Mr. Bun, oh, you are so round and brown and beautiful, Mr. Bun. Oh, you are a bun among buns, Mr. Bun. (laughs) Well, the bun thought, well, this fox knows true quality when he sees it. (laughs) I shall sing him a song. And the bun began to sing, Mr. Bun, I am Mr. Bun. I was scraped from the sides and swept from the floor of the flour bin. Kneaded with cream 
And in butter fried, I was put to cool on the windowsill, but I rolled and I rolled and I rolled and I rolled and I rolled away from Gramps and from Grandma too. And I rolled away from a hare and I rolled away from a wolf and I rolled away from a bear and I'll roll away from... Wait, 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 Mr. Bun. Don't go, don't go. Oh, Mr. Bun, oh, that song. I love it, I love it, I love it. Oh, it's beautiful. Did you make that up yourself? Oh, it's gorgeous. Oh, oh. Uh, but... um. Do you think you could sing the song again? Uh, perhaps come a little closer this time. I'm a very old fox. Very old. I'm very hard of hearing. I want to hear every, every beautiful note of that song. Perhaps you could sing it on my nose. Hmm. Well, the bun thought, what harm could it do? And so the bun jumped up onto the fox's nose, and he began to sing, Mr. Bun, I am Mr. Oomp. Well, <laughs> Mr. Bun never did finish his song, but the fox did finish Mr. Bun. And that's the story of Mr. Bun. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Story Story podcast. Show the love. Find Catherine Fairley and Rosemary Kutra on their websites and tell them you want to hear more stories from them. You can connect with the podcast, this podcast, on Facebook or Instagram at Story Story Podcast or me, Simon Brooks, on Instagram at Simon M. Brooks and on Facebook and on my website, Simon Brooks Storyteller. Diamond Scree, yep, that's me. The penmanship behind the fairy tale sponsor was Lynette Ford. The inspiration for the true fairy tale was seeing a hole in the trunk of a tree. You can visit the visual candy from the fairy tale sponsor ads on Story Story Podcast Instagram and Facebook pages. While you're there, let us know a favourite story you have heard or the favourite stories of your childhood. Who knows, maybe you will hear them here soon. This podcast is made possible by patrons like you. Consider becoming a patron or join the mailing list to get podcast goodies or write a review on Apple Podcast or wherever else you heard this podcast, which helps other story lovers find and enjoy the podcast. You will hear more stories next week, but until then... Live happily ever after. And Mary Kate opened up the door, and there on the doorstep, wrapped in his own blanket, was her baby. And to this day, Anansi spins webs so that he can catch the flea, the fly, and the moth that got away. If you go down to the lake on a clear day, when the water lies as calm as a sheet of glass, you can still see the rooftops of the castle glittering in the sunlight. And if you listen really closely, you can even hear the festive music from the royal court. Thank you for listening to the Story Story podcast. Show the... And if you want to hear us make up fairy tale facts about you and thank you for an episode, then become a supporter now and help keep this podcast going. And going. And going. And going. And going. And going. And going.
The end. Ha <laughs> ha